What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Man I Want to Be podcast. My name is Keaton, and I am your host. I started this podcast to help young men, or any man really, but specifically young men, answer the question, what kind of man do you want to be? My father asked me that question when I was 23 years old, and it changed my life. I began to approach my life differently, less about what I was going to do with my life, though that is a very important question, and more about who was I going to become. Part of me thought I'd figure that out early, quickly. I'm 31 years old, almost 32, and I'm coming to learn that as you discover more about what it takes to become a good man, the further the goalpost seems away. And so there's always, always something to work on, whether you're trying to be a decent man or a good man, or at least just become a version of the vision that you have for yourself. Hopefully a biblical vision, hopefully an upstanding vision, hopefully a man that leaves his mark on his family, his work, his church, his community. And in history, if you're fortunate enough, most of us are just ordinary men who get to make an impact in our families, in our churches, in our work. And that is good. It is the ordinary men who are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. It's not, not just big, big name people. It is the average ordinary humdrum people. We've done episodes on that. But glad to be with you. There is uh, so many things that I would love to share with you guys today. And before we get into it, I just thought, hey, I should give you a little life update because my life has been crazy in the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, my wife and I welcomed our second child into the world. His name is Benaiah David. Benaiah David Tucker. David, obviously king in the Bible. That's my first name. I go by Keaton. I've always gone by Keaton. My first name, though, is David. And so we're handing down my first name to my son as his middle name. Benaiah is a name in the Old Testament. He was the captain of David's guard. He was one of his mighty men in the Bible. You can read a description about him in 2 Samuel chapter 23. It says that he was a mighty man, a doer of great deeds. And I'm like, yes. That's what I want the name of my son to be because the, the names you choose for your children matter. They matter a lot. They have a lot to do with identity. They have a lot to do with who will, who will they become. Don't pick a name for your future children just because it's cute. Pick a name that has meaning to it and then speak into and pray into that meaning. Like my first name is Beloved. I don't actually know what Keaton means. I've actually never looked it up. But I like that my first name is David, Beloved. I should look up what the name Keaton means. I'm sure my parents know. But the names matter. So two weeks ago, we welcomed our son into the world, Benaiah David. We now have two children in the house. We have two under two. And I am learning a lot, and I don't know how to put it into words, what it's like to go from one child to two children. You know, my daughter made us parents. She made me a father. That will never happen again with all the children that we have. No, none of my other children will make me a father. None of our other children will make my wife a mother. So there's something special that happens with that first child. But then when the second one comes along, and this is where I'm having to figure out what, what is really happening. I don't have words for it. When it's just the three of us, it was like Noah, our daughter, her name is Noah, was the center of our world. It was the three of us. We were the little trifecta, and she was really the center of our world, even if we weren't trying to make her the center of our world. But, which no wonder firstborns like myself expect to be treated like royalty. My wife is a firstborn. I'm a firstborn. Our daughter's a firstborn. We're never going to know who's actually in charge at our house. So, sorry for all the 
secondborn children, the middle children, and, the, and well, not sorry to the, the babies because babies get treated like royalty also. Sorry to the middle children. But so we have this, we have a second child and it, what I've noticed is the focus then has not shifted to necessarily two children, though it's that, it's more like I refocused on my wife and my wife is refocused on me. It's now like, it's now instead of we are focused on Noah, it's we have children to raise. I don't know, and I don't know how to describe it just yet, but it's making me realize that we're parents, not just I have a child named Noah, it's we're parents. And I hope to one day understand what I'm noticing about having two children and how it's shifted my focus back to my wife and her to me and our role as parents, not as Noah's mom and dad. And I don't I don't even know how else to describe it. It's just something I'm noticing. And I hope by the grace of God that we have plenty of more children. I'm hopeful for at least two more, but we shall see. I also graduated college, finally. I wrote about this on my stub stack. I graduated the same week that our son was born. So our son was born on a Tuesday on Friday. I had turned in my final assignments and filed for graduation and got all that taken care of. It took me 13 years and a lot of lessons, but I finished. I wasn't, I wasn't in school during that whole time, during that whole 13 years one, but during that 13 years, I learned a lot. And I, well, first how do I say this? I did discover a love for higher education as an accomplishment that is good. That is brand new because I raged from the time I dropped out until I decided I'm going to finish. I raged against the expense of college, the necessity of college, partly because I was angry, partly because I didn't finish, partly because who needs credentials. And during this process of earning a degree, I mean, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about diligence. I learned a lot about sacrifice. I learned a lot about humility. I learned a lot about how not finishing affected my character. I learned a lot. One of the things I learned, though, about college that shifted my perspective entirely was college is there to help you learn and to do something unbelievably difficult and to do it well. And if you can get through the difficulty of college and doing it well, not skating by, not showing up, waking up 20 minutes before your classes and showing up without brushing your teeth with a hat on. I mean, doing it well, studying, treating it like full-time job, you set yourself up differently for life. You set yourself up with diligence. And that, that lesson right there was amazing. I also just learned, I love learning and I love writing. I love writing about what I'm learning. So now I'm like, man, maybe I should go back to college and do a master's degree or a second bachelor's or something. I, I set some goals for myself, which well, my wife said I need to wait in, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I discovered a deep love for higher education. At one time I was a college dropout and now I'm a college graduate. It only took 13 years. So never give up, never give up. Um, I re- wrote about that on my sub stack. So you should go over to my sub stack, hit the subscribe button and read about it. It's called an expensive lesson in diligence. Now I did, I say I, a love for higher education yet. I used to think it was stupid and stupid expensive. Now I just think it's stupid expensive. That needs to change. Absolutely. It is way too expensive. I also, I don't think college is for everybody. I really don't. And that's okay. Most people don't need to go to college, especially if you're going to just burden yourself with debt. When I was in high school, the trade schools for high school kids were 
where you went if you were too stupid to go to college. That was like the stigma, not like the stigma, that was the stigma of the trade schools. Everybody I know who went to the trade schools is making buku's amount of money, very happy with their life, and I'm pretty sure it's the thing to do now. Skip college, go to the trade school, absolutely. Go to the trade school, make some money. Whatever you do, don't stop learning, but pick the right choice. I just had a deeper love for higher education come as a result of finishing college after 13, 13 long years. So never give up. Today, I want to talk about something I've learned and am learning once again. I don't actually, I don't think I said this above. I meant to say this above, but on this podcast, I share things that I have learned and things that I am learning. Most of the time, I'm sharing things that I am currently learning. I've learned a lot of lessons along the way. I have hardly learned enough about what it means to be a man, and it takes incredible effort. That's why we have Pops on the podcast to offer some wisdom from a man who's been pursuing a vision of what kind of man he wants to be for 40 plus years. We get some older wisdom from the elders because the elders are where the wisdom is at. It is not in the youth. Wisdom is in the elders. And so most of the time, I talk about things that I'm currently learning. Occasionally, I share things that I have learned and that I have might believe I've nailed down, but I might be thinking a little highly of myself. Today is something I have learned. I have definitely learned, and I'm having to learn again And I expect I will learn again and again and again. I want to talk about being ruthlessly honest with yourself. Ruthlessly honest. Specifically, I think it is time to be ruthlessly honest with yourself about what is killing you. What's killing you? What's robbing you of your manhood? What's robbing you of your energy and your drive and your motivation, your desire to be somebody? What is in your life that is killing you, that's killing the man that you want to become, and you haven't put it to death, you've become comfortable with it, and you've maybe started to let yourself off the hook or even lie to yourself about it, I think it is time to be ruthlessly honest with yourself about what is killing you. So think of that thing. What's holding you back? I bet it comes to mind really, really quickly. I have never met a man who did not have at least one thing in his life that was slowly killing him and keeping him from becoming the man that he wanted to be. Not one. Not one. Maybe, well, maybe the older men. I'm talking the young men under 35, at least under 35. Age, when it comes to getting something out of your life that's killing you, doesn't matter. There are men in their 60s, men in their 70s, who let something into their life that they never got out, and it it killed who they could have become. It could be alcohol. It could be weed. It could be porn. It could be slothfulness. It could be fear. It could be a demeaning relationship. It could be something like that. More often than not, when I talk to guys, it's either alcohol, it's porn, or it's weed, or some combination of those three that's killing them. Alcohol, porn, weed. Alcohol, porn, weed. All the time. And it's killing them. And it is time to be ruthlessly honest with yourself about how this habit or addiction is killing you and stealing from you. I do believe we should always begin by being graciously honest. I want to... I want to Compare those two, graciously honest versus ruthlessly honest. Graciously honest means beginning with mercy. I once heard a man named Gordon McDonald. He was a he's a really old pastor. I think he's 85. He's retired now. And he 
does mentorship for other pastors, and I heard him speak once, and he said that every conflict with others, and including yourself, needs to begin and should begin with mercy. That means when you have messed up or you've made a mistake, you're not too harsh, you're not demeaning, you don't shame yourself, nothing like that. You don't go beating yourself up or exaggerating what a mess you are. Instead, you should be graciously honest. Admit what you did, that it was a mistake, how you're going to change, and then move on. Now you just move on. That's how you should begin. Gracious honesty. It's not lying. It's not deceitful. It can feel that way or it could become a lie if it goes on too long, but you are being gracious to yourself first. When we are gracious to ourselves, we tend to be soft on the consequences and not think through fully what could happen to us if the mistake we made or the habit we've let in continues. We're soft on the consequences. But we haven't, we, oh, excuse me, sorry. When we th- haven't thought through the consequences, we tend to make a what's called a bi- binary, good, bad decision. We say something like, this is bad, I should stop. And it ends there. This is bad, I should stop. Okay, you haven't really thought through much of the consequences, the long-standing consequences of whatever you've let into your life. You're just, this is bad, I should stop. Porn is bad, I should stop. Alcohol is bad. I should drink less. Weed is bad. I should stop. Yep. And maybe with alcohol, you should just, I should stop. You'll notice that was the only one I didn't say I should stop. But maybe you should. Maybe you should. But how often, think about something. When you say those words, this is bad, I should stop. How often do you really stop? Not often. How often... Do we stop doing the thing that we know we should not be doing? Rarely, 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 especially if it's alcohol, if it's weed, if it's porn, soft porn, Instagram porn, Snapchat porn, TikTok porn. You know the naked ladies that show up on your little search button that you don't want there. You're like, well, how did that get there? It's the algorithm. But, ooh, that algorithm is coming for you. Delete that off your phone. If you're unable to stop those and if you allow them to continue to steal from you and from your life, You're going to have to eventually not be graciously honest with yourself, but you're going to have to be ruthlessly honest with yourself. You're going to have to acknowledge that your bad habit, your secret, your addiction, your bad relationship, whatever it is, you're going to have to acknowledge that it is actually killing you. You're going to have to acknowledge that it's killing you. When we're ruthlessly honest, we think through everything that could or will happen in the future we bring it into the present and we confront it we're no longer we're no longer saying like i said above this is bad i should stop that we're not saying that anymore that's being graciously honest this is bad i should stop no when we're ruthlessly honest what we're saying is this is killing me it's killing my future it's robbing me of all joy contentment peace energy drive and everything that makes me a man it's robbing me of that these are the consequences and if i do not put this to death it's going to destroy me You might need to scare yourself. If there's something in your life that is killing you, you need to scare yourself in order to change because that is confronting the worst element of what is coming at you. And you need to know that things are coming at you to destroy you. And Jesus said that the enemy of your soul comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The liar of lies. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And until we start to confront the things in our lives that are, as if it's actually trying to kill us, we will. I don't know if we'll ever have the right response. I don't. I think we've traded in, and I've done this. Now I'm about to tell you a story of how I've done this, and I've done this so many times. 
in the name of being gracious, I'm not actually being gracious, I'm lying in diminishing what is coming after people and after myself as if it's not a big deal. Alcohol, weed, porn, slothfulness, laziness, anything that is robbing you on a long enough timeline is actually going to kill you, kill what it means to be a man. You'll become a stone of a man. Greed will do the same thing. Workaholism will do the same thing. We need to treat some things as if they were actually threats to our life. The worst thing that you can do to your to yourself and to your future and everyone who comes into your life in the future is to lie to yourself. And I know that from personal experience. So I'm going to tell you a story. It doesn't involve alcohol, something more embarrassing. It doesn't involve porn. It doesn't involve weed. Uh, I used to have an addiction to chewing tobacco. You're like, oh, that seems so small. Uh, don't <laughs> don't make things small things. Don't make don't 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 th- make things that are big small. So I used to have this addiction to chewing tobacco at one time in my life. I'll never forget the first time I allowed myself to succumb to that nasty habit. It is and it is nasty. It is a disgusting habit. And to this day, even though I'm free of it, I hate that I ever gave into it. I'll, and I'll never forget where it was. At Adam Brook parking lot in Lakewood, Colorado, off of Kipling on the Kipling's or on the Garrison side, excuse me. I'll never forget. And golly. I had stood strong against my friends for so long. They had gotten into dipping tobacco. I believe it was their junior year. And it was April of my senior year. I had said no, 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 no for for months. I'm like Close to the finish line. I'm one month before graduating. It was April. And I allowed the peer pressure to get to me. And there's a that's a lesson right there. Don't give in to the pressure when the finish line is so close. They probably would have continued to peer pressure me into the summer. I was there for the summer. But maybe they wouldn't have. Either way, even if it was pressure through the summer, I'm going off to college in Texas and they're going somewhere else. I had four months. I was so close. And I gave in. Don't give in close to the finish line. Don't slow down before the finish line. But once I had given in, it was easier and easier and easier to give in. So one dip becomes, I'll have another, I'll have another, I'll have another. I said the words, and I remember I said the words, just one won't hurt. Those words, just one won't hurt. That, those words, those are words of destruction right there. Just once won't hurt. Those are words of destruction. And I dipped for a long time. And I was always ashamed of it because, one, it was gross. And so I hid my newfound addiction as best I could. I don't know if I actually hid it well or not. But I tried. It was an attitude of hiding. It was a character trait of hiding. I didn't know if some people knew about it. But I definitely didn't want it broadcasted everywhere that I was addicted to this snuff. In my addiction, it amplified this character trait that I was a hider. Later in life, as I reflected on this and other periods of my life, I realized that I wasn't just a hider with this. I was just a hider in general. Just a hider. Now I tell people all the time, just don't bother hiding. Just don't. Get out from behind the fig leaves. Get out from behind the tree. Don't hide. It's way worse to hide. There was plenty of stuff I didn't want people to know I was doing. Even if it wasn't a bad thing, I had just learned, don't hide. And I hid because I thought it was gross. Not just, I didn't think it was just gross to, like, it wasn't gross enough to quit, but it was gross enough to hide. 
And I also didn't want to, this is the other reason I hit, I didn't want to ruin my quote reputation. So I hit for that reason too. And if you're hiding something to protect your reputation, ah, man, that means you're self-righteous. And I was self-righteous. And I was unfamiliar with grace. And I didn't believe I could trust people to let me off the hook the way I was letting myself off the hook. I thought that was a trap. I didn't need to be let off the hook. That And that's, that's the thing. It, this is the thing. I didn't want to tell anybody about this because I didn't think they would let me off the hook the way I was letting myself off the hook when I should not have been letting myself off the hook. Letting myself off the hook was the trap and believing that other people would not let me off the hook was the trap. I did not need to be let off the hook. I needed to be free. I needed to be free. This addiction was getting the best of me in so many ways and I wanted off the hook because I didn't want to have to confront the consequences. I didn't want to have to admit that I was a hider. I didn't want to have to admit that I was pretending to be somebody that I actually wasn't. I didn't want to have to confront what people saw that wasn't true. I didn't want to have to admit that I was self-righteous and puffed up with pride. I didn't want to admit any of those things. The last, and that was exactly what I needed, but I wanted to be let off the hook. The last thing I needed was to be let off the hook. I needed confrontation. I needed help. I needed honesty. And instead of those things, I allowed this addiction to continue to kill me slowly. Slowly. And for years, for years, I hid that addiction. Such, And it is. It's really, it's tobacco. It's like, it's not drugs. It's not alcohol. It's not porn. You're like, it's still an addiction. Don't make small things, or don't make big things little things. Admit what they are. Such a silly thing to hide. Yes. Yes. It's ridiculous to hide, but yet we do it anyway. You hide the addiction that you have. You do. Some are more detrimental than others. Porn, I believe, is far more detrimental than chewing tobacco ever will be. Alcohol is way more detrimental than chewing tobacco will ever be. Hiding is really detrimental, though. You can't hide when you're married. If you practice hiding when you're married, that's not going to go well for you. If you practice hiding, you're going to have a hard time understanding repentance towards God. You'll never experience the life that you that Jesus has promised. You'll just continue to, like Adam and Eve, hide behind your fig leaves. So one day, you know, after years, I mean years, years of just, I would literally hide in my room so I could dip and I'd scroll on my phone for hours, hours a day, hours a day. Instead of using that time to read a book, be with friends, have some fun, do anything other than (laughs) hide. Man, because hiding will just force you away from everybody. It'll force you into a corner, a dark hole of shame. So one day I decided, I'm, you know, I'm going on a prayer walk. I'm frustrated with life. I need to tell God to fix it. Of course, it's God's fault. God's got to fix my life. And it, before I went on the prayer walk, I didn't have, I wasn't going because of this addiction. No, of course not. It wasn't even on my mind. And I don't remember much of what I prayed or yelled or anything like that. I was just, I'm, I was just frustrated. But I do remember... I got one of those impressions in my heart that you only get when it feels like God's talking to you. It feels like your father pointed a finger right at what is going on in your heart. You feel exposed and loved at the same time. And the accuracy of what I heard, it, it could have only come from God. And here's what it is. 
it is time for you to be honest about what is holding you back. That's all that was. That's all it was. It's time for you to be honest about what is holding you back. Not who, what. And I knew exactly what God was talking about in that moment. I, like I knew exactly. If you're an atheist and you're listening to this, or you're a materialist and you're listening to this, or you're skeptical about if God speaks to people, you're like, oh, you you already had a conscience. You knew it was holding you back from your own self. I'm like, nope. Nope, I had given up on that years ago. I had become very content to allow this to be in my life. There was God. God will speak to you if you ask him to. He sure will, I promise you. Don't live like you're a materialist either. If you're a Christian, act, live as if God can speak to you about your life and can orchestrate good, good, good things for you that you need. Good things are the things you need, not necessarily the things you want. And definitely not the things you're hiding from. But anyway, 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 anyway. So I knew exactly what God was talking about. So I sat down with a journal and I wrote myself a brutally honest letter. For the first time, I was ruthlessly honest with myself. Maybe not quite the first time. Maybe the second time at this point. But this was the first time that I sat down and wrote myself a letter that was brutally honest. And it drew some of what my future could be into my present. Because I'm still young and single at this point. I wrote the words I needed to hear. I wrote that I was a liar because I was. I wrote that hiding is a form of lying and pretending to be better than I was was a form of lying too. It was also a form of pride. I wrote that. I wrote that I had wasted thousands of dollars. I wrote that I had stolen money from my future. I wrote that if I continued to use this tobacco that I'd get mouth cancer and I would lose my jaw and my teeth. And at that time, I wanted to make a living using my mouth and yet I was destroying it with my addiction. Think about that one. I wanted to be a public speaker, use my mouth to use words to build other people up and to make a living to provide for my family. And I was intentionally putting something into my mouth that would rob me of that future if I got cancer. Now, praise God, I don't have cancer. Don't have any sign of cancer. Amen. (laughs) But my mouth was the opposite of consecrated. It was being used to harbor an addiction, not set anyone free with the truth. <laughs> I was literally lying, not setting people free. That's a that's a whole podcast right there, a whole lesson for me to meditate on. I wrote that in this letter. I wrote that because of the possibility of cancer, I wouldn't be able to kiss my future children or hardly talk to them. Should cancer come, it would have been later in my life. It would have probably been when I had children, and I'd have to explain to them why daddy was going to lose part of his face. I wrote that I wouldn't be able to kiss my future wife the same. This was long, long before I had a wife or even a girlfriend or met Chelsea or anything. And I wrote all these things in a letter to myself as ruthlessly and as honest as I could because that level of honesty is what I needed after years of lying to myself. I could have gotten away with gracious honesty if I had stopped, repented, and moved forward with my life years ago, but I didn't. And the longer you go lying to yourself, the more honest you're going to have to be. When you allow something to kill you for years on end, eventually you're going to have to tell yourself the ruthless and the brutal truth. And it doesn't have to get that bad. You can can tell yourself the truth now, but the longer you wait, the the more honest you're going to have to be. And the greater the consequences will be. The longer you lie to yourself, the more the consequences will be. So I wrote this letter and then I read it out loud to myself and I wept like a baby. 
I I mean, when I was pulled out the letter to prepare for this con this podcast, because I still have it. It's in a journal. I read it out loud to myself. It's one thing to write a letter to yourself. It's another thing to read it aloud. It just, it hits differently. But I gave up dip. That that honesty gave me the will, the surrender, the grace, the repentance, everything I needed to give up dip. Now, I did give it up for a long time, and it grabbed a hold of me briefly a few years later. Ironically, when I fell for the same lie. Ah, just one, I've, been free just once will be fine i fell for this exact same lie just once i'm telling you just once are words of destruction don't fall for them and i had to read that letter to myself again so i would no longer succumb to it i had to and that sucked (laughs) but the ruthless honesty it led to freedom and you need to hear that ruthless honesty will lead to freedom jesus said the truth will set you free he meant in a spiritual sense, but he that that phrase, the truth will set you free, is true in every regard that you apply it, every single one. You probably have something in your life that's killing you, destroying you, stealing from you. Maybe, you, maybe it's all three. Maybe this has been in your life for a long time. Maybe you have called it a small thing and you said you'll give it up later, but it's going to come for you. Maybe you made it, maybe it's a big thing like alcohol, porn, weed, the three I've been talking about. Maybe you know that it's killing you or maybe you've been letting, and maybe you've been letting yourself off the hook. Excuse me. Maybe you know it's killing you and you're letting yourself off the hook. And now it is time to be brutally honest with yourself. You've been telling yourself for 10 years that you needed to give up porn. And guess what? It's been 10 years and you still haven't stopped. Do you know what you're letting into your mind and your body? Have you been honest enough with yourself about that porn that you've been looking at for 10 years? That woman that catches that you watch on the screen has probably been abused while you watch behind the scenes. While you watch and behind the scenes. She's probably been abused. That woman is probably someone's, is not probably, is someone's daughter. Do you think you're going to have an intimate relationship later in your life? No. No, you won't. Not till your porn addiction is put to death. A friend of mine was so addicted to porn that when he got married, he couldn't have sex with his wife. They had sex like four times in their first year of marriage alone. Four times. 365 days. They had sex four times. He couldn't He couldn't bring himself to touch her, love her, cuddle with her, pursue her, nothing. He was so addicted to the screen. And that led to some serious other problems in their marriage, let me tell you. Just beyond their sex life. It led to a lot of problems. It's it's killing you. It's killing who you're becoming, and it's robbing you of your future, and it's allowing evil into your body. you got to put the porn to death. Put it to death. Maybe you're one of the fortunate ones, and porn doesn't have a grip on you, but alcohol does. Maybe you've had a beer or three or five every night for five years. Maybe your bank account is smaller than it could be. You wake up feeling groggy and gross all the time because you've drank so much. Or you're hardly ever on time because you needed 30 extra minutes to sleep off the slight hangover. There used to be a strong hangover, but now your body's just so adapted to this new state that it's a slight hangover. But you still have no energy to actually do anything meaningful. You've put on weight. You feel sluggish. Where is that going to lead in 10 more years? 
you're going to continue down the same path unless you do something. You'll, I promise you, you will continue down the same path. The law of motion will, Newton's law of motion applies to human behavior. Unless acted on an outside force, you're going to continue down the same path. You got to be honest with yourself. Where If you dr- continue to drink the way you're drinking now, and you'll probably drink more in the future, it's three beers now. It might be 12, 15 later. I know a guy. Used to drink three to four beers a night. He's almost 40. And just six months ago decided that he was going to stop drinking the case of beer that he was drinking every night. It was like 15 or 16 beers he would drink every single night. He'd get one of those big, big 18-pack things. Drink the whole thing every single night. It's 320, 340 pounds. Got two kids. He didn't just, but it started in his 20s. Two or three beers every single night. By the time he's 40, he's drinking 15 to 18. You've got to be ruthlessly honest about where your, where your, where's your life headed? What is killing you slowly right now that will destroy you later? You've got to be ruthlessly honest with yourself. On Often, you know, I hear this a lot. We blame others for our state of being. We do. You could, I could, like, for me, I could have blamed my friends for the, for peer pressuring me. After all, they had, they had peer pressured me. They did. They peer pressured me for years. And I said, no. And if they wouldn't have peer pressured me, I wouldn't have started to dip. Maybe you fell into porn at a young age because someone introduced it to you. I've heard that story many, many times. Men who were introduced to porn at 11, 12 years old against their will, robbed of their innocence. And every time I hear that, it breaks my heart. I know guys who were introduced to alcohol at a young age. Their parents they had thought one sip was fine for a 14-year-old. Or their parents weren't even around, and so their friends introduced them to it. But a lot of times, parents are like, oh, it's fine. You're 12, 13, they have introducing death into their child's life. Yeah, you know what? That happened. But you cannot continue to blame people forever. That And it is a common thing right now to assume that we are solely a product of our environment. Now, absolutely, your environment has shaped you. Your upbringing has shaped you. The things in your past, they have shaped you for sure. They are a factor. That is true. But there is a mentality going around that we are nothing more than products of our, our environment and our society. Nothing else makes us who we are other than being a product of our environment, which means we're not actually responsible for anything. We are victims. We are oppressed. Feel sorry for me. Affirm me. Give me a hug. But do not ask me to take responsibility for myself or my future, and do not ask me to change. Just affirm my victimness. No. No, I will not affirm your victimness. I'm sorry that those things happened to you. I'm sorry you were introduced to alcohol at a young age. I'm sorry you were introduced to porn at a very young age. I really am. No child should have that happen to them. And yeah, it, it formed you. It it helped. It contributed to who you are today, and it sent you on a path that you didn't ask for. That's a factor. Absolutely. But now you're a fully grown man, and you're fully capable of making the necessary changes to your life. And you've got to believe that. You're not a victim. You are a man, and it's time to stake responsibility for your path that you have taken. Own it, make peace with it, and move forward to a better life. Repent where you need to repent. Confess where you need to confess. Be ruthlessly honest with yourself. Forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Take some 
responsibility. Don't let your addiction continue to kill you. You have everything to gain by putting it to death and everything to lose by allowing it to put you to death. You get to decide who's going to put who to death. It is time to put to death what's killing you. It's time to be ruthlessly honest about the, about your situation, about your addictions, about what it's going to cost you to stay on the same path. Be ruthlessly honest, honest enough to make positive change. Man up, take some responsibility, grow, change, go forth, do what you need to do. Make the effort needed to put to death what is killing you. Get that in your mind. I hope that you never forget what I have just said. Put it to death. And it's not just about you, by the way. This is about your future. It's about your future children or the children you already have. It's about the flourishing marriage that you want or that your wife wants. It's about your grandchildren. It's about posterity. It's about the people in your community that are going to notice your change. Your actions highly influence your children and the people around you. The buck can stop with you or it can stop with them. Children tend to repeat what their parents did. If you drink a lot, children tend to repeat what their parents did. Your children will drink a lot. The buck can stop with them or it can stop with you. I hope you choose to make it stop with you. Put it to death. Make it stop so that they can flourish in ways that you did not get to as a child. We have let ourselves off the hook long enough. And it is time to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves, with our spouses, so that with anybody we need to be honest with, but mostly we need to be ruthlessly honest with ourselves so that we can live a better and more impactful life that changes the trajectory of our own and the people around us. Be ruthlessly honest about what is killing you. Thank you for listening to this version of the Man I Want to Be podcast. My name is Keaton. I will talk to you next time.